There I am. Good to see that you guys got the memo, the time changed. I'm looking around, and some of you got the memo well, and like you probably went to bed early last night. I watched a few of you kind of drag in this morning like, oh, no, the alarm went off an hour early, right? It's that time of year again. So before we jump into F260 this morning, I wanted to just give you a couple of updates. Um, We've been trying to keep you guys apprised of what's going on both in Highland City and with our building project here at the church that we've talked about. I just wanted to share some things that have happened. Um, Over the last few weeks, we've been working on cleaning up the property there at the Hub House. Had somebody come in and clean out all the trees and some of the underbrush that was around the property, and it literally changed the look of the property. I mean, you stand in front of the house now, and it's like wide open, and you can see it's beautiful. And then yesterday, we had a, a work day, and we invited our men to come out and help with that. We had about 20 guys show up, and quite honestly, we did about three times as much work in one day as I thought we were going to get accomplished. We had one dumpster there that we were hoping to fill before the end of the day, and we ended up filling that, sending it to get dumped. It came back, we filled it a second time, and now we're going to have to go a third time. We're able to rip out all of the interior walls of the house, trying to open that space up, trying to create kind of a multi-purpose area for use in the future. In fact, we've got so much of the demo done that now we're going to be waiting on getting the plans drawn up to be able to move forward to the next step. But it was a really cool thing. Just wanted you to hear about that. Keep watching for details, too, because in the very near future, we're going to have a day that we invite you to the property where we take some time as a church family just to pray over the property, to share some more of the dream and kind of dream together and celebrate all of that of what God's doing and how he's moving. So be watching for those details. That'll be coming soon. Um, As far as the proposed building expansion here, it seems like I tell you the same thing every time I get up here to talk about it. We're waiting on some details, and that's kind of where we still are, but there, there is stuff happening in the background. Um, we actually hired an engineer several weeks ago, and he was doing the process with the county of just making sure that the project we're wanting to do is going to be approved and we can move forward with all of those details. And he's hopefully a, a week or two away from having that nailed down, and once that is done, then we'll begin conversations with the architect to get some actual drawings put in place, which will then allow us to go back to the bank and have conversations about real numbers because we'll have bids that come in from contractors and so forth. So there is stuff happening. It's just kind of slowly but surely. I would just encourage you, if you have any questions or would like more details, feel free to talk to any of our pastors or ministry directors. We would love to talk to you about it and share as much as we possibly can. So let's jump back into F260, the 2.0 series this morning. And you should have completed week nine in your reading this past week. Um, And so if if you were doing that, walking with us, we wrapped up the book of Exodus this week. We started back in chapter 32, went through, I think it was 36 verse 1, and then we jumped to chapter 40, and then from there we jumped into Leviticus and hit about four chapters in that. And one of the things I'm sure that you're already realizing as you walk through this reading plan is that we're skipping a lot of chapters as we go story to story to story, and that's actually intentional. As you walk through the reading plan, the design is to give you a good foundation of discipleship to kind of walk you through the overall biblical narrative so you understand the story, but at the same time trying to keep the reading manageable to where you can read through the whole story in a year. So here's what I would encourage you to do. As you're reading through that, if you have extra time or you're able to dig into that, dig into some of those extra chapters. There are lots of good stories tucked away in there, lots of information. God's word never returns void, and I think you'll see that as you're reading as we walk through this. In fact, even in what we're going to talk about today, it's going to be kind of the story beneath the story. Some of those things that are tucked away that you might not see when you just read through the first time. So if you paid attention, this week's reading started with a story that most of us are probably familiar with about the Israelites making a golden calf and worshiping that idol. And that all happened while Moses was on Mount Sinai. If you remember, he had gone up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. He's also receiving all of the instructions, or you may call it the blueprints, for the tabernacle. God's speaking to him about this. 
And what happens? He's gone 40 days, and before he can even get back, the Israelites are going, who is this Moses guy? What happened to him? Is he even coming back? And they're looking for a God to lead them. And so they make this golden calf. It's quite the story of sin, consequences, and God's mercy. And at first glance, it probably seems like it's the key story to the reading this week. And it is the one that kind of stands out. But if you dig a little deeper, there's this much bigger story that's continuing to unfold. Like I said, it's kind of the story underneath the story. You see it several times in this week's reading. And in fact, we have been seeing it since Genesis 1 all the way through the story. And we're going to continue to see it through the rest of our reading if we'll just pay attention. And there's going to be a few places that it's really obvious. Then there's going to be some other places that you've got to really discern what's going on. Unless you're a Hebrew scholar and reading it in the Hebrew. How many of you are doing that? Okay, I better not raise my hand because I'm not either. But unless you're reading in the Hebrew, some of these things that we're going to talk about today, you're probably not seeing. But when you go back to the original language, there are some really neat things about how God has woven other things into the story that we're understanding. And there's this pattern that God institutes all the way in the beginning of Genesis in the story of creation that you see go throughout the entire story, painting a picture of his redemption and his love and his mercy. And it's a lot greater than one word can encompass. I'm going to try to touch on a few things this morning, but just for simplicity, we're going to call it Sabbath. And the first time that we actually hear Sabbath talked about as a practice is in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. But we've seen the word several times already. In fact, you probably remember, if you go back to Genesis, that very first story, Genesis 1, and it goes into, I think it's Genesis 2, verse 3, and we see it say this. In the beginning of Genesis 2, we read, on the seventh day, God rested from his work of creation. And that word rested is the Hebrew word Shabbat, or we would translate it as Sabbath. And Shabbat literally means to cease or to stop or to rest from. God Shabbat from his labor of creation. On the seventh day, God Shabbat, after working for six days to bring order from chaos, he brought into being the world as we know it, and then he rested. And in that story of creation, God also established a pattern that we see and it's taught all through the story of Scripture. Again, a lot bigger than I can explain this morning, but we're going to try to walk through some of those little things. And I want you to see specifically the way that pattern concludes with Sabbath over and over and over and over. Now, I just told you a minute ago, but I want to be clear. I'm no expert in Hebrew. So I did a lot of research where other people were explaining the language and kind of helping to walk through. And honestly, this is one of those topics where you start studying and you suddenly realize how much you don't know because it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And you can dig as deep as you want and study as much as you want to investigate and you'll find all kinds of things that God's revealing. But this morning, I just want to show you a simple way of thinking specifically about Sabbath and the importance of that command in our lives. For me, growing up in church, Sabbath was probably more of a rule, I would have said. And it basically went like this. Sunday is a day for church and a day for rest, which means you don't work on Sunday, you don't do extracurricular activities on Sunday, etc., etc. You fill in the blanks, whatever that means for you. But honestly, that rule has become pretty loose as I've gotten older and I've watched traditions change dramatically both in church and in culture. And for most people in our Western Christian culture, specifically, Sabbath has been reduced to simply showing up to church on Sunday morning. And even that's optional most of the time, right? Over the past few years, some books that I've read and some other studying I've done have helped me discover that Sabbath is intended to be more than just a day of physical rest. It's designed to be 
a change in our thinking that helps us to direct our attention back to God. Sabbath is intended to be more than just a physical day of rest, but a change in our thinking that helps us direct our attention back to God. It's designed to help us be still and listen for God's voice, even when life around us is crazy and chaotic. And I'm sure none of you ever experienced that, right? Life's just smooth sailing. See, it can be observed as a physical day, but it also is a pattern of our thought process that teaches us to constantly turn to God and allow him to be our peace and our focus. More recently, I've begun to discover even more truths about Sabbath, things like this pattern of seven that we're going to talk about some this morning. It shows up over and over throughout the story. And I don't want you going off on a tangent here. I'm not getting into some kind of crazy number code about the Bible or the Da Vinci Code that you watched the movie or any of those things. But this is a pattern that God creates in that story that runs throughout the story that helps us to see some different things. And again, it's if you're looking at the Hebrew languages where you see this most often. Our English versions sometimes get it, most of the time not so much. But I've also seen new truths about how God views Sabbath, why its observance is so important to us. Just this week, one of the things that caught my attention was how many times I saw Sabbath mentioned between last week's reading and this week's reading. It's not the main focus of the story, but it's woven in there. Have you seen that, how it comes together? And then where it was mentioned caught my eye too. But quite honestly, I was trying to ignore all of that as I read, just being honest. Moment of public confession. I went into study this week doing anything and everything I could to avoid this topic. In fact, it was one of those things where like last Sunday, I was kind of thumbing through, what's next week's reading? What am I talking about? And I saw the heading for Sabbath, two or three places, and I went, nope, not going there. And so I went back and found that story, The Golden Calf, and I was determined that was what I was going to speak about this morning. But here's kind of how it played out. Monday morning, I get up, I read my normal couple, three devotionals that I go through before I really dig into this week's reading with F260, and the very first one I open is about Sabbath, of course. And then... Later, a little bit later in the week, I think it was Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning sometime, I was doing something and I went, I want to just listen to a podcast while I'm doing this. And one of the podcasts I like to listen to is by The Bible Project. And you've seen some of the videos we've shared from time to time and things that they've done. Good resource for you to plug into. But I I turned on Bible Project podcast and if you know the way it comes up on your iPhone, it like lists all the episodes. And I thought, I'm just going to scroll through, see which topic kind of grabs my eye and I'll listen to that. So I flipped through with my thumb And when it stops, wouldn't you know that the entire screen is filled with not one podcast, but a series of podcasts that's like 12 episodes long about Sabbath, seventh day rest. Hmm. All right. Thanks, God. I'm going to ignore that. So then a little bit later in the week, I'm talking with my wife and I'm telling her kind of the struggle I'm having. And I was like, this is what I think I want to go to, but I'm probably going to end up on Sabbath. I just see it happening and kind of wrestling through. And how does she respond? You know, I heard about this awesome book on the radio the other day. And she starts telling me about this book. And what is it on? Sabbath. Don't like you very much either. Thanks. The next day, and I just kind of found this funny, I'm having a conversation one evening with Derek Nicholson, and I tell him about the struggle I'm having. Derek and I were in a D group for a while, and we talk about things a lot of times, so I'm talking to him about this, and I tell him it's you know, about rest and about Sabbath, and he literally laughs out loud. And he looks at me, and he goes, you talking about rest is quite the irony. 
And I thought, that's exactly what I was thinking, because the reason I don't want to talk about it is because I've talked about it before. In fact, we did a series about it two years ago in the summer, and I look back to that moment in my life till now, and if I'm being really honest, I don't see a lot of significant change. There are some little things that have happened. There's some things that I see differently and that I'm still working on and trying to change, but I don't see the huge contrast that I would like to be able to see. And so... I kind of came into this morning figuring, I'll just talk to me, you guys can listen, and maybe you'll figure something out too along the way. So here's what I wonder. Why is Sabbath so difficult for so many of us? Why do we have trouble putting a stop to everything, to resting, and especially to just being still before God? I mean, maybe I'm the only person, but even when I'm sitting down in complete silence, and I come to the office pretty early most days so that I can have that quiet time before anybody else is around, because I'm like crazy ADD, and I'm all over the place all the time, and if there's one other voice, I'm distracted. So I come in early, and I try to read, and with nothing else going on, my computer's still closed, nobody in the office, complete silence, I can start reading the scripture, and my mind goes a hundred different directions, and I'm fighting to get back in God's word and spend that time with him and just to be still. Why is it so hard for us to do that? See, I would argue that it's because we're all so busy. And it's not even just the type A personalities anymore. It's everybody. Think about it. When you talk to somebody, you come in on a Sunday morning, you give your normal casual greeting, which is, hey, how are you doing? Right? And what's the response? I'm good, just really busy. Right? Probably 75% of the time or more, that's kind of the response you're going to get. It's not just one personality. Good, just busy. Work's crazy. The kids' schedules are keeping us hopping. We got family coming into town. We have this. We have that. We have something else going on. There was this crisis in our house this past week, or there was this that happened. You fill in the blank. doesn't really matter. The details aren't important. The response is often the same. We're busy people. We're rushing from one thing to the next, trying to just hold it all together and even survive. And even when we have downtime, we're often busy, right? Scrolling through Facebook, playing a game on our phone, watching the latest TV episode of your series that you're binge watching on Netflix or whatever the case may be, involved in your hobby. See, that book Sherry was telling me about this week is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer, and I came across this in the book because, of course, I had to pick it up after she told me all of that. He says, Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston Southern University School of Business conducted the Obstacles to Growth survey of over 20,000 Christians across the globe and identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. Listen carefully to this hypothesis. It may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, number four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, and here's the scary one, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Interesting hypothesis. I probably could preach an entire series on just that one quote. But why is it that Christians today seem to have lost this pattern of Sabbath in our lives? 
You know, one of the number one excuses I hear from people is the Sabbath is only for the Jews, and I don't really have to observe that. That's that Old Testament thing. We're not under the law anymore. But I find Jesus' words really interesting about that in Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and this was during the days when Abiathar was high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath, listen to this, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What I read here is that Jesus is countering that legalistic mentality that was so often held by the Pharisees. But it also seems clear that he's reinforcing the importance of Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. I want you to notice what he didn't say. He didn't say that the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the Jews. He said it was made to meet the needs of the people. It's kind of an open context. He's talking to Jews in this moment, but he doesn't specify that it's only to them. See, I think you and I need Sabbath. We may not even know it, but deep down we're longing for it, even searching for it. We run from one thing to the next just waiting for the chance to slow down, don't we? What's that conversation usually go like? Well, I've got this crazy project this week at work, but next week, next week's going to be better. We'll, We'll hang out next week. We'll get together next week. Or I've got this going on or that going on. Or once I finish this season with my kids in this sport, then things will slow down for us. Or once I do, again, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what your busyness is. Doesn't it seem that that one thing piles into the next thing, piles into the next thing, and just keeps on going? And that thing we say, oh, once this is over, I'm slowing down, that never, never happens. And sometimes we can look at it and see that it's honestly our choices causing it. Then there's other times that we look around and go, no, it's circumstances that are doing it. It's not my fault. But yet the pattern is exactly the same all the time. Think about going on vacation. How hard do you work to get ready to go on vacation because you're going to be gone for a week or two weeks or whatever it is that you get? And then what happens? You get to vacation and it takes you almost the entire time you're there just to unwind from all the pressure that's been on you in your job and at home and all the things going on. And by the time you unwind to where you can enjoy your vacation, what's happening? Now you're anxious because you're thinking about all the stuff that's going to be waiting on you when you get back from vacation that you're going to have to work twice as hard to catch up because you were gone for a week, right? So where in there did we get vacation? Where in there did we stop and rest and be still before our Lord? And yet, in the very pattern of creation, God has woven a different way of living. And we seem to miss it somehow. He's woven this pattern of work and rest, not just for our physical restoration, but even more importantly, for our recognition that our lives are not our own. And he is our provider, not us. And that's what I began to see unfold this past week as I was reading. In fact, day one, Monday, I open up my Bible and I go to the day's reading and we're starting in Exodus 32. And when I open it up, my eyes are immediately drawn to some verses that I highlighted last week in chapter 31. And it starts with verse 13, says this. 
Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between, you, between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Think about the phrasing there. In actuality, the whole section right after that verse to the end of chapter 31 is talking about the importance of Sabbath. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. That's placed right at the end of all of the chapters leading up where Moses is getting the instructions about the tabernacle from God. He's receiving the Ten Commandments, getting all the instructions about the tabernacle, and it walks him through this whole story, God explaining to him, this is what it's going to look like. This is the pattern it has to follow. There's even some implication there that gives us the impression that probably Moses was able to look into the heavenly tabernacle in that moment, that God's allowing him to see, and he's painting this picture for him. And God's reinforcing right here that even when the people are building his tabernacle where his presence is going to reside among his people, they still need to observe the Sabbath. And so as I realized that this came at the end of that encounter between God and Moses, I thought, I wonder what came at the beginning. So I just kind of thumbed back through. And all of this starts in chapter 25 of Exodus. But just four verses before chapter 25, I found this that caught my eye. Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 and 16. Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. Now, there's nothing specifically mentioned here about the word Sabbath. That word doesn't appear even in the Hebrew text. But here's that pattern of seven showing up again. And I do find it interesting. There's a really good chance, the way it's worded, that it's suggesting that Moses was climbing the mountain to be in God's presence during those six days. And it's on the seventh day when we're supposed to stop and rest and put our focus on God that God speaks to Moses and begins this conversation. That Sabbath pattern where every seven days we're told to cease working and place our focus on God. Now, obviously, at this point, I'm not getting my day one reading done because I just went completely the wrong direction in the Bible, and I'm kind of digging through other stuff, but I thought, I'm going to keep digging because this is intriguing. So I went a little further. And what I found is there's this literary pattern in Moses' writing here in Exodus that also follows that same pattern of seven. It runs all the way through it. So starting in chapter 25, God's giving Moses directions about how to build the tabernacle. And there are seven different places between 25.1 and then Exodus 31.12 where you see this phrase, Then the Lord said to Moses, And each time you see that phrase, he's giving a different aspect of the building of the tabernacle. He's moving to the next piece of it. And some of them are very long. There's a couple of them that are like two, three chapters long, and then there's some that are only a few verses. But he's giving the different aspects of the building of the tabernacle. And so the seventh ends up being the verse that I just read to you a moment ago where he talks about Sabbath. So instruction, 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 pattern of six, day seven, but honor the Sabbath. Make sure that you take the Sabbath. So I dug a little further. If you skip over that story of the golden calf, the one that I was determined I was going to speak on, and then you go to chapter 36, you begin getting all of the details from 36 up to 40 about how they actually built all the stuff that Moses just talked about. So Moses gets the blueprints from God. He passes them on to all the skilled workers that God says he's put his Holy Spirit on, and they are designed to craft the tabernacle. And then we read all of the details about how they're building that. Now, you may not have read that because that wasn't actually in our reading this week, but it was the chapters in between that I told you there's good stuff there. So you see them build all the elements. Then we come to chapter 40, 
And we see Moses begin to actually erect the tabernacle. He takes all the stuff that they built, all the different elements and pieces, and begins to put it together. And in chapter 40, we see that same pattern of seven unfold again. Specific phrases in chapter 40 that read, just as the Lord had commanded him. So it's Moses did this, just as the Lord commanded him. Moses did this and this, just as the Lord commanded him. And it walks down through in chapter 40 with the last statement you see the seventh time in chapter 40, verse 32, leading into the statement in verse 33 that says, at last Moses finished the work. Does that sound familiar? You remember the story of creation? And on the seventh day, God had finished his work, and he what? He Shabbat. He ceased from working. He stopped to rest. Sounds like some interesting correlation. By the way, like I said earlier, these literary patterns are according to the Hebrew words, so it depends on what version of the Bible you have. Um, I typically teach from NLT, and when I go through NLT, there actually are some very similar phrases, but not all the versions of the Bible show that. It just depends on how they translated those Hebrew words. But if you go back to that podcast that I was talking about earlier, there's one of these podcasts in particular, I don't remember if it's the first or the second one, where Tim Mackey, one of the guys with Bible Project, does a very excellent job of explaining this in greater detail. And he, compared to me, is actually a Hebrew scholar. He's fluent in Hebrew. And he he shares the Hebrew language as you go through it. It's really interesting. But go back to this pattern thing. What became of even more interest to me as as I was continuing to read was what I found leading up to that second pattern. It's in Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. It's right in the midst of God giving instructions about the festivals that the Israelites were follow, which, by the way, all the festivals follow the same pattern of seven, if you dig into that and study that. Interesting to see that story woven all the way through. But go back to Exodus 34, 21, and you see this. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working Listen to this phrase, first time we've seen this, even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. That's kind of an interesting addition to the phrasing. You must Shabbat on day seven, even when you're in the busy season doing your plowing and harvesting. Well, what does plowing and harvesting mean? This was their survival. If they didn't plow and plant their seed and then harvest their seed, they had no food to eat. They weren't going to make it. But God says, even when you're doing the most important thing and when the season's crazy, because if you've ever excuse me, been around a farming industry, you know what happens. When it's harvest time, the world shuts down around them because they've got to get the harvest in, right? It's the most important time of the year. And he's saying, even in those moments, when life is crazy and it seems to be pressing on you from all sides, Shabbat, stop, cease from working, focus on me, rest. We see Moses talk about Sabbath again at the very beginning of the next chapter, chapter 35, and it's just before he gives instructions about the sacred offering that God tells the Israelites to take for the tabernacle. Again, caught my eye. Really interesting placement of talking about Sabbath. Why before you take an offering are we talking about Sabbath? And I I don't have time to dig into this in great detail, but I would encourage you to study it on your own. There are some really, really, really interesting correlations between the words God uses to talk about Sabbath and the words he uses to talk about the tithe. And if you remember from our Blessed Life series going through, what did he say about the tithe? The tithe is mine. It belongs to me. And we see the wording in Malachi that says, if you don't bring the tithe into God's storehouse, not that you're not giving or being disobedient, you have robbed me. You've taken from God. And similarly, when it talks about Sabbath, God says, the Sabbath belongs to me. It's how I make you holy. 
There's very, very similar wording there. I would encourage you to dig into that. See what it says to you. But listen to what Moses says here in Exodus 35, 1 through 3, leading into that offering. Then Moses called together the whole community of Israel and told them, These are the instructions the Lord has commanded you to follow. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on that day must be put to death. You must not even light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath. Now, this is a pretty serious command, and this is not the first time we've seen it. Anyone who doesn't do this must be put to death. That's a pretty severe consequence. It makes you think this must be important to God. But he's reminding them yet again that they need to be totally still before the Lord. And on this day in particular, even when they're in the midst of building the tabernacle. Why is that important? They're getting ready to do this offering and start the building of the work. See, I think one of the things God's reminding them of is that even ministry, even God's work, even when you're working on my holy place where my presence is going to reside, that doesn't trump this pattern that I've put into your life of stopping and focusing on me and putting everything else at rest. How often do we let the good things we're doing kind of trump those necessary patterns in our lives? It's easy to do in a pastor position, but I think it's easy to do for a lot of you too. That you look around and go, I'm busy, but I'm busy serving the community. I'm busy doing the work of God. I'm busy serving in the church. I'm busy serving at my kid's school. I'm busy volunteering in this organization. These are all good things that God's called me to do. But what happens when those good things collide with what God tells us should be our pattern in our lives? See, I think ministry does not trump our need to be still in God's presence and hear his voice and be filled before we can take on that next grouping of tasks. These are Old Testament commands we're hearing. But remember what Jesus said about it. Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. We need this time of rest in God's presence, and we need it regularly. Mark Buchanan said it this way in his book called The Rest of God. In a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. But without rest, we miss the rest of God. The rest that he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It's both a time on a calendar and a disposition of the heart. It's a day that we enter, but just as much a way that we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God. Actual, physical, mental, and spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature and presence that we miss in our busyness. I wonder, what are we missing when we allow ourselves to be too busy to practice Sabbath in our lives? What are we saying to God when we allow ourselves to be too busy or too distracted to be still before him and to allow him to redirect our paths according to his plan? See, I would say that that's the whole point of Sabbath that we so often miss. It's inconvenient. It really is. It doesn't make sense in our schedule. It doesn't make sense in our plans. It interrupts what we see as things that we need to be doing. But do we ever stop in those moments to ask if what we're doing is really what God wants from us? See, listening to that first podcast in that series on Sabbath or Seventh-day Rest 
I heard Tim Mackey quote an Israeli scholar by the name of Madis Yahu, and I probably didn't pronounce that right, his last name is Savat, in relation to the purpose of the ritual of Sabbath. And this is what he says about the ritual of Sabbath commanded to the Jews. Man normally is master of his time. He is free to dispose of it as he sees fit or as necessity bids him. The Israelite is duty-bound, however, once every seven days to assert by word and deed that God is the master of time. One day out of seven, the Israelite is to renounce dominion over his own time and recognize God's dominion over it. Simply put, every seventh day, the Israelite renounces his autonomy and affirms God's dominion over him. In conclusion, every seventh day, the Israelite renounces dominion over his time, renounces autonomy, recognizes God's dominion over time, and thus over himself. Therefore, keeping the Sabbath is acceptance of the kingdom and sovereignty of God. Think about those last words. Keeping the Sabbath is acceptance of the kingdom and the sovereignty of God. This, spirit, this ritual of Sabbath is a declaration that my time is not my own, but rather it belongs to God. Tim Mackey goes on to explain the ritual of Sabbath like this. Shabbat is a ritual practice. Rituals are habits and structures in our lives that determine reality. Let that sink in just a second. Rituals are habits and structures in our lives that determine reality, even in ways that we are not conscious of. See, I think we would all agree that it takes a certain level of discipline on our part to practice Sabbath, to make that a ritual, something that is affecting our lives in that way, changing those habits and those structures. But that practice of Sabbath also causes us to see the world differently. And I would even argue that it causes us to respond to God differently. I kind of flash back to Henry Blackaby's words in Experiencing God, where he says we have to adjust our lives to God's purpose. Most of us try to do that the other way, right? We talk to God and tell him what we want to do and go, hey, bless this. And he's saying, no, that's not how it works. We need to be going to God saying, what are you doing? Where are you going? Where do you want me? How do I play a part in this? And then we have to adjust our lives to what he wants. It's inconvenient. It's not easy. It interrupts our plans. But isn't that the whole point? We're called to follow God's plan for our lives, not our own. He asks us to lay down our dreams so that we can follow his dream for us. Band, you guys can come on up. See, I came to the conclusion this week that the reason I struggle so much with practicing Sabbath regularly in my life is just simply because it's not easy. It's not. There are some things about walking this journey with Christ we look, like, look at and we go, man, I can do that, no problem. And probably we're doing it in our own strength if we're doing those things. But then there are other aspects where we look at it and we go, I don't know if I can do that. Because I know the implications it has in my life and on my schedule and on my plans if I say I'm going to follow this kind of practice in my life. If I'm really going to put God first and I'm going to take that time regularly to rest and before him, what's it going to do? It goes completely against everything in our culture. Life is pounding on us all around. One more thing, one more thing, one more thing. Keeping us busy. Jean-Marc Comer responded to it this way. To choose to live an unhurried life in our day is somewhat like taking a vow of poverty in earlier centuries. It's scary. It's an act of faith. 
But there are deeper riches on the other side. Unhurried. That sounds a little bit like a pattern of Sabbath, doesn't it? And he's right. It'll take an act of faith as well as a lot of discipline, especially in the beginning. But it seems pretty clear that God's saying the same thing to us. There are deeper riches and a deeper relationship with him on the other side of putting that discipline into place, of setting aside that time that is committed to him where we just stop and we rest. Here's the last thing I would tell you about this. Don't get hung up on the rules part. Because too many times we look at something like Sabbath and we see the directions and the commands that are put there and we get hung up on the, the details of it and the rules of it and it becomes about checking a box. Did I do this? Did I not do this? And in reality, this should be about relationship. This is God calling us to a pattern of living where we're walking closely in relationship with him, where we're stopping what's going on in our lives so that we can hear what he's saying to us and we can respond to that. It's not about checking the box. It's about walking in relationship, and sometimes that walking in relationship requires discipline, doesn't it? Sometimes your spouse requires something of you that you don't want to give. A lot of times your kids require lots of things of you that you don't really have the time or want to give, right? I should see parents in the room shaking your head because I know what life is like. Their schedules, their things, the last minute coming in on Sunday night, oh, I've got this project due tomorrow morning. They've been working on it for four weeks, except they just started this morning, right? There's nothing in me that wants to give to that. But sometimes we have to bend our lives around that. Why would it be any different in our relationship with God? He goes, look, you're running too hard going the wrong direction. Stop and listen to me for a minute so I can show you a better path and show you a different direction. I would ask you to ask yourself a couple of questions this morning as we close. First, what am I doing to make God most important in my life? And to reflect that through committing time to just be still in his presence, even when it's inconvenient. And the second thing I would ask you to ponder is this. What do I need to change in my normal pattern to be able to practice a regular ritual of Sabbath? Again, don't get hung up on the rules. Think about the relationship. What does that look like in your life? Because I would suggest to you that not just having a Sabbath day each week, but even more importantly, having some Sabbath moments throughout all of your days, throughout all of your journey with Christ is where we need to be sitting. Those moments that we stop everything, shut off the phone, shut off the computer, shut off the kids, lock them in a room somewhere, do whatever you got to do to just be still and hear what he's saying to you. And allow him to speak life into you because that's what makes us holy. So what are you doing to make him most important? What are you doing to put that pattern into place in your life to follow the things he's saying to you? Think about those things. Ponder them. Be still and listen to that this morning. Be still this afternoon. Take some time. Be still throughout this week and think about these things. I would push you, dig into this idea of Sabbath and see what God may speak to your life. You may not like it because it's going to be challenging, I assure you. And I know that now that I've said all this publicly, some of you are going to be holding me accountable too. But that's what we're here for, to hold each other accountable, to grow in this journey. Stand with me, let's pray, and you think about these things. God, I just thank you for this morning and the opportunity that we have just to come into your presence again, to be here in your house and to, to worship you and to offer our praise. 
God, I thank you for the way you speak to our hearts, sometimes in ways that we may not like or think we're not interested in, but yet, God, you grab our hearts and you teach us truths that we need to hear, things that we need to know, things that are shaping us and molding us to be the person that you've called us to be. God, help us, even in those moments where it's tough and we hear those truths that we don't like, to still listen and to take it in, to allow you to, to break down some of those outer walls of our hearts, those hard places that we've built up, the calluses that we've formed, to soften us again, to be in tune with your voice and listening to you and growing in relationship. God, even this morning, I pray that you would break down some of those barriers and walls that we have in our hearts so that we could be walking in tune with you. Speak now and allow your presence to fill this place as we come to you and worship. It's in your name we pray.